You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Got a special episode coming for you today. We were able to get Steve Clark from the Devil's Den to come back on uh, and talk a little bit about the recent Adidas and Pete Sham um, events down in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That was a few weeks back, but we've had some pretty big guests since then. Uh, but we finally lined up to where we could get him to come on. Um, I actually wasn't able to make this one. So when we transition here in just a second, you'll see Raul and Shu kind of take over uh, hosting duties here. Um, got a lot of prospects that we cover, especially for Duke fans. VJ Edgecombe, Floyd Badunga, uh, Dylan Harper, Isaiah Evans. Obviously, the big ones, Cooper Flagg and the Boozer Twins. Uh, so the fellas go in and talk about the the breakdown of the games, what Steve uh, took away from the events, what he liked, what he didn't like. Um, some pretty good discussion, even a little bit of NBA scouting talk in there as well. Uh, so I hope you all enjoy. All right. So we got Steve Clark here. He was recently at Peach Jam and the Adidas Championships in South Carolina. So we figured we'd talk to him about that. He saw a bunch of Duke guys, uh, prospects and commits. You know, and some had some really good performances. So, yeah, Steve, you just want to take it away and uh, start with Peach Dam, maybe, because that's kind of the bigger event. Yeah, absolutely. Before before I get to that, I got to give a shout out to uh, uh, to Shu, one of our uh, one of our podcast hosts, was very generous and uh, getting together with me for lunch uh, before I uh, uh, had a hard day's work at uh, at Adidas. Man, had a lot of fun to be able to meet face to face. So. For everybody that's a listener to the podcast, uh, anytime you get a chance to to meet these guys uh, in person, I know you do a lot of interacting with them on social media. These these guys are great guys, and it was really cool to be able to spend some time with you there. For sure, appreciate that, and enjoyed the company as well. It was nice meeting face to face. You know, we yeah. we do this and chat all the time, but you know, anytime you're down in North or South Carolina, like I said, it was Rock Hills, a twenty minute ride from me, um, yeah. so it was it was easy to do, and uh, I was uh, glad to do it. It was kind of weird. I gotta, I gotta admit, and people that have uh, known my work for a long time know that. Uh, and this was, I'm dating myself. This was years and years ago, uh, over a decade when I was in college. I actually worked for the Liberty men's basketball team. And when I started working for Liberty, uh, Winthrop uh, University in the Big South Conference was was the rival uh, for everybody in the in the Big South. So it was, I admit it was kind of like a walk down memory lane. It was a little bit weird to be on Winthrop's campus uh covering the adidas 3 ssb but um yeah so you went raleigh you want to talk about uh peach jam first is that right 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the event with more okay. of the Duke prospects there and the big names that people will know. So um, yeah, wherever you want to start, um, we could start with like Isaiah Evans and Darren Harris, or we could sure. go with, uh, you know, because those are the actual Duke commits. Uh, we'll, yep. well, we'll get to Cooper Flagg and Cameron Booser sure. later, of course. But sure. yeah, you want to just start with those guys? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the cool thing with Peach Jam uh, this year was it was basically kind of a week long. Like the game started on uh, Monday, July 3rd, and it went all the way into the weekend. I think the championship game and uh, some of the semifinals, they were on TV that weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So uh, I was there for the Devil's Den on uh, Monday and Tuesday. That was the day that I concentrated my coverage. Uh, And then on Wednesday, I went over to Rock Hill for the Adidas and I think uh, before I get to the player thoughts uh, from Peach Jam, what was really interesting uh, was this year was kind of unique in terms of covering it because the two days that I was there, Monday and Tuesday, uh, and this was also applicable on Wednesday, those were the three days that the college coaches were not allowed to be there. The open period for college coaches to be able to be on the sidelines started on Thursday. However, when I was there on Monday and Tuesday, there was a plethora of NBA team personnel, a bunch of scouts from a bunch of different teams. So uh, being able to sit on the sidelines with them and being able just to interact with the with the NBA scouts was really cool because you were able to have these conversations, you know, back and forth uh, with them, both on the high school recruits that they were starting to, you know, build their files on that were Duke related. And I also got opportunity to talk with them quite a bit about both um, Duke's NBA prospects that are going to be on this year's team and talk about the guys that just got drafted. Uh, it was really interesting to kind of learn some of the intel uh, from the NBA guys, just about like what went into drafting, you know, Derek Lively and um, and Derek Whitehead uh, and whatnot. So that part was cool. But on the, uh, to the guys that you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Isaiah uh, Evans and Darren Harris, right? For class of 2024. Yep. So those two guys were actually a part of for me, just based on the performance, uh, just watching them, watching all those guys play, they were two of my favorite guys. Um, I've with Harris, uh, my exposure to him goes back to actually last spring uh, when I got to watch him in person at multiple legs on the Nike YBL in the spring. Uh, but this was my first time getting to see Isaiah uh, in person and having watched some film of Evans and seeing uh, Darren Harris live now for multiple, uh, multiple years, both of those guys have clearly progressed. Um, Harris in particular, I was looking through my scouting notes uh, before we got on here. I got to see him in a couple games. One of them was an extremely competitive game against Vegas elite uh, back and forth. Vegas elite is one of the better teams on the UIBL and uh, Darren Harris, his team, uh, team takeover, they ended up winning that game and it was a super close game. But in the game that I saw before that one, Darren Harris by far had one of the best dunks of the entire Peach Jam uh, from while I was there. He he had this really interesting, he kind of stole the ball kind of in the in the middle of the court, kind of like just kind of a kind of a rebound, kind of knockout mm-hmm. situation that he got to the ball. And what was just interesting watching his evolution as a player, he just kind of took off and he just flew down the court with the ball jammed it home and there was a big wing that was coming over from the side to try to block the shot so right away you could see with darren compared to last year he is clearly his athleticism has improved his body has improved he's he's even more assertive offensively because like last year when i saw him uh playing for the same aau team team takeover you could tell like he's a guy who you know he would get a shot from the flow of the offense he wasn't trying to push things too much but now on this year's team like you could tell like 
you know, he's a leader on the team. He's much more assertive with his, uh, with his shot making. So I really liked his confidence. Um, and also from a confidence perspective, I thought that was the, that's the one way I would really describe Isaiah Evans, like watching him perform at this year's peach jam and haven't seen him on film a little bit before that. Like you can just see how confident a player he is. And I think what was really interesting was to talk with him after that, after that game where like he was just aggressive from the start offensively and he was playing with uh drake powell the unc commit uh on that team and their point guard is also a really good one uh, bishop boswell and i just thought isaiah was just playing with great confidence uh offensively and it wasn't just shooting the ball i know everybody kind of thinks you know isaiah has this reputation as a shooter but he was really aggressive with driving to the rim he was getting fouled he was you know, he was making some good dump off passes like he was getting to, you know, different isolation spots for for shots. I just thought he was a very confident, assertive uh, offensive player. So I saw a lot of good things from both of those guys for sure. Steve, uh, uh, for the listeners that don't know, Isaiah's nickname is Baby Ingram. Can you tell us a little bit of like, is there a reason that, yeah. you know, does this game, where does it similar to to Ingram's and maybe even where do you think it differs a little bit as well? I can see like where the comparison can be can be made. I think he is definitely he is shorter by several inches, but I do agree that he has really long arms, really long legs, uh, a little bit on the skinny side. But, you know, like like with any 16, 17 year old, like he's going to fill out once he gets to college where I think where I saw the biggest similarity. Um, and I think this even applies to kind of how Brandon plays now. Um Brandon's really good, uh, and and he and he got good at this when he was at Duke uh, with just playing the isolation game. Like you remember, like when Brandon started getting really assertive offensively that year at Duke, as you got in the ACC, and they would isolate him like at the free throw yep. line, like at the elbow area, and run actions off of him. Isaiah does similar stuff. Like they were running actions for him at the elbow line. You know, if the ball would go swing, swing on the perimeter to him, like he was very comfortable, kind of you know, isolating, you know, and, and taking a good shot. Um, so I think similarities wise, he's, he's a bucket getter and he can do, and he can get you buckets in a variety of ways, not just looking to jack threes all day. And both him and Harris are kind of listed in that kind of six, five, six, six range. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that, I think Evans feels longer than Harris but I think that's more because Evans has really long arms, whereas Harris, I think, is tall. He's right. got good, he's got good length, but he's not. He doesn't have the super long wingspan right, the way right, Evans right, right. does. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, Shire seems to be doubling down on wings for that class. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about that because you know they can kind of slot in anywhere and be pretty interchangeable. Yeah, and that's the thing that I like about both of those guys. Like, even going back to last year when I scouted uh, Darren Harris for the first time at several EYBL events, the thing that I really liked about him was, like, I knew going in he had the reputation as a shooter. So I was looking to see both last year and then and then again this year. I was like, okay, you're a shooter. What kind of shots are you trying to get? And are you taking good shots? Because there's plenty of guys at AAU who take – you know, they're high volume shooters, you know, because they have to be for their team. And the thing with Darren that I really, really like is he takes smart shots, the way he moves without the ball, the way he reads screens, you know, he's not just looking to be the main guy. And he plays on a team with a lot of other talent, both on the wing and also in the post with uh, another Duke recruit, uh, Patrick, uh, uh, I always butcher his last name, 
a gong bar or something like that. Yeah. So Darren is used to playing with good talent. And the thing that I like about him is aside from just taking good shots, he really values the ball. Like if, you know, if it gets swung to him, I saw him many times, like give it right back up on a swing, swing or ball reversal over the top because he knew that defenses were keying on him because he's a threat from three. So I think the the thing that I like from a projection standpoint for him going into Duke, like he can score in a variety of ways. And because of his reputation as a shooter, um, as he continues to evolve his, uh, you know, his one or two dribble pull-ups, you know, his driving game, like he's going to be a real weapon uh, for Duke and teams are going to have to respect him because if he doesn't have a great shot, either off of the way he moved or the way the ball swung to him, he'll pass in a rework a screen. Like he's going to, he's going to work to get a good shot. And with Evans, you can run offense through him. Like I, like I mentioned before, the actions that you can run off of him, you know, he's got a gift of a, you know, he can do ISO ball, but you can run actions off of him as well because he's so assertive offensively. And with Harris is most of his game kind of catch and shoot or pull up uh, jumpers, or is he taking the ball off the dribble? I know you mentioned that dunk. He's taking it off the dribble a little bit more uh, this year. The thing that I liked about him was he uh, this year he he really gets his uh, he gets dirty on the on the defensive rebounding side. And what I like about him is when he gets the rebound, you know, he'll give it up, you know, to one of his ball handlers, and then he'll sprint into whatever the offensive action, you know, whether it be transition or if they're going to go half court, he sprints into action, and then depending on like what the goal of the play is, you know, I saw him coming off curls. Um, I saw him doing uh, dribble handoffs, you know, where he would, you know, be he'd be reading the handoff defender and kind of seeing like, what are they trying to do? Sometimes he could, you know, the way he would come off a screen, like he had his footwork set and he was ready to let it fire, you know, off the screen. But there were other times where he would drive it. So he's he's got a diverse skill set. And did you get to see him in uh, that championship game or you had already left at that point? I had left at that point, but I recorded it and I watched it on TV. And I just think... You know, you kind of saw the competitive edge that he plays with. I mean, and I, he was like, I think he was the leading scorer for his team in the uh, in the yep. championship game. And you could just see like, like the biggest difference between him last year to this year. Like last year, he was a starting worthy player and he started right, quite right. a bit for uh, for them. This year, he was one of their main guys. Like he's clearly evolved as a player. He's Duke fans should be excited about him. He's going to be a good player for, for Duke. Yeah, didn't he have like a he had like 13 points I think in the first 5 minutes of that yeah. game or something. Yeah. 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 That was the biggest thing like, you know, last year you could see him he was kind of working into the flow of the game, you know, he wasn't like hunting his shot so to speak, and I've just felt like this year and you saw the same thing with uh with Isaiah Evans. They were just both they were confident, assertive, they were attacking from the get-go, they were getting screening actions going so that they could get some shots off. So I didn't feel like either one of them was taking a lot of really bad shots. I just think they were being aggressive in their in their mindset. And I think that kind of mentality is going to lend itself well at Duke because I think, you know, we're, we're, we were talking from a strategy perspective, like with Coach Jaira when we had him on the pod recently. Like, you know, you can see that he wants to have floor spacing and what he's going to have with the floor spacing that's going to be there with guys like Harris and guys like Evans and others is you're going to have smart floor spacing because those guys aren't just going to space the floor to jack up threes. Like those guys move without the ball. You know, you can run different actions with them. They're not just going to be, you know, jack it up all day, you know? Not to put you right on the spot, but do you have a good like Duke comp 
for for Harris? I mean, obviously, I am, ter- gonna I am terrible go with that. With <laughs> okay, I am terrible with that, so I'll I'll defer to you guys on that. Uh, okay, he's he's got really good size, and I think the the thing with Harris that's also good too. Um, you could tell that he's gotten stronger and more athletic. And so he's got, you know, a legit, he's a legit six, four, six, five. He's got good length, you know, a good height, uh, for the two guard spot. And he's, he's kind of toned up in his body. Like, I think he's lost some of the baby fat. He's gotten more athletic, you know, he's, he's going to be good. Yeah. I'm thinking, I don't know, role, what, like a Matt Jones type. I mean, Matt Jones was kind of, you know, the shooter of that class. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, somebody that's not going to, you know, do too much, you know, not try to get out of his comfort zone, I guess. And, and just be a guy that, you know, spots up, plays a little D and gets dirty, you know? Yeah. That's the other good thing too, with, uh, with Harris too, that I've liked. And this goes back to watching him in EYBL last, last spring, like last year was, um, he does a really good job communicating, uh, on defense. Like they play a help side defense kind of deal. Um, and I've seen him many times, like when he's in help side, you know, he's hugging the lane. You could see he's playing his position area. He's communicating to, you know, what's going on with screening action. You know, if a back screen's coming up the lane, he communicates uh, to his wing. That's another thing that I like about his game. He's a good talker. And what about Evans defensively? I know you mentioned his long wingspan, so that may yeah. project pretty well. Did you see anything yeah. from him defensively? Or, I mean, I know it's he, um, AAU, but. Yeah, so from a transition perspective, he helped his team get into uh, some good transition moments. Uh, him and Drake Powell, uh, they were kind of the two wings, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, for uh, for CP3. And the especially the game that I was paying really, really close attention to Isaiah, in that game, they were able to kind of speed the other team up and get them in a transition situations. And oftentimes, it was either uh isaiah or drake where maybe they were trapping in the middle or maybe he was getting to a loose ball that was tipped um i would say it's an area for him to grow you know just like with any other like i think his his big value right now is on the offensive side but he definitely has he has the capability to help uh from a defensive uh, perspective but he's got room to grow into becoming like a defensive stopper is what i'd say where do you uh kind of see these guys positionally in college i know we already kind of talked about how they may be a little bit interchangeable but i think you mentioned that harris you kind of saw him as a little bit of, as a two and what about yeah. evans maybe like more of a three four or is he I too skinny for the four i don't see evans as a four unless he really fills out and that right. adds some more length. I, I think he's more of a he's more of a big wing uh to mm-hmm. me whereas harris screens kind of big two does that make sense yeah yeah um, yeah, I guess we should kind of move on to talk a little bit more about uh, some of the other 2024 guys. Well, first of Absolutely. all, I kind of what is your impression of the 2024 class as a whole? How does it compare to 2023? Would you say it's weaker or stronger? And are there any particular guys that were there that stood out to you? Yeah, I think in 2024, uh, just thinking about it from a Duke recruit perspective, I think the guys that are either committed. Um, or who are, you know, major recruits for Duke. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, really interesting players that are very good talents that all of them have room to grow. And I think, you know, to me, that kind of follows the pattern of like what's, what has happened with, you know, like Duke's incoming freshmen, you know, this year. Like when, when you look at, 
like Jared McCain and Caleb Foster and TJ Power and Sean Stewart, like I've, I saw all those guys for multiple years uh, or watched film of them uh, in high school or AAU. And those guys, all of them are really hard workers. They all improved uh, to different degrees. So they came into Duke much better players than where this class of 2024 is right now. But I think all of those guys that we either talked about or are going to talk about I feel good about their work ethics and I feel good about um, how they're going to continue to kind of grow uh, as players. Cause I'm sure those guys are competitors and I'm sure they've heard a lot of the media discussion about 2024 is much weaker compared to the 2025 class. And I think you're going to see a lot of guys in the 2024 class, not just Duke recruits, but anybody in general that I think you're going to see a competitive group that's going to come into college. And I think they're going to try to, you know, make a name for themselves, so to speak, because of the discussion about them as a class relative to 2025. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's kind of my impression that there's no Paolo Bancaro or Zion or even a Cooper flag in that class or even in 2023 either, really. Yeah, I think to me, the big question is, and this was the topic of discussion with the NBA uh, scouts as well, is if Cooper flag reclassifies, which I think at this Mm -hmm. point seems like there's a really serious chance that 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 could happen. um, I think he instantly is in the discussion for number one. Uh, in that class. And I don't necessarily view that as like a negative indictment on the class of 2024 as a whole. I just think it's more about Cooper flag is a very special player. Yep. Um, and I think even if he stays in the 2025 class, like he will still belong in that discussion for, you know, top three in that class. He's that good. Yeah, he put up some ridiculous numbers. I mean, like 38, 16, yeah. and 11. Like you, just, yeah. you don't see dudes doing that in Pete Sham and not, you know, 15, 16-year-olds at least. And it's just insane, like, because I started watching him, like, I remember last year in the spring, I went to uh, Indianapolis and then to, uh, I think it was Lexington, where the, uh, two, the two spring legs of the Nike YBL were last season. And that was my first exposure getting to watch uh, Cooper Flag and also the Boozer uh, brothers. And I knew going into my first time watching them, this was April last year. Uh, I knew going in, I knew about the hype. I knew that those guys had just been ranked by ESPN as like number one and number two, you know, between Boozer, uh, Cam Boozer and uh, Cooper Flag. So I knew the hype going in. And I knew I was going to be watching kids that were competing at the 15 
E15 level of the EYBL. So I was really interested to see like how aggressive are these guys going to be? And like, I came away from that weekend. Like, I wish I could show you guys the text messages between John and I, like, like even last year when those guys were playing E15, like I legit thought coming off of those weekends in, uh, in Indianapolis and Lexington that Cooper flag and Cam Boozer were hands down two of the best prospects that I saw all weekend. Okay. I mean, they were that good even back then. And now fast forward to this year, they're even better. And I think the thing with Cooper was watching him play a peach jam. Like, you know, he's got a target on his back and Cam Boozer, the same thing. And the thing that I absolutely loved about uh, Cooper flag this year was he's coming off of the year of playing for one of the top prep schools in the country. I'm on bird. You know, he's playing with a ton of, you know, division one talent and he still had a really, really good season for Montverde, even with it being his first season there. And you could just see the continuation of how assertive he is, not just offensively, but defensively. And you saw that in the very first game that I watched him play. He was not shooting the ball like number one, he wasn't shooting it well. And number two, he just wasn't really shooting a lot. And the reason why was because if they were running a screening action for him, I don't think there was an offensive possession that I was watching of him where he was not, when he was coming off the screen, he was either getting doubled or they had a help defender positioned. kind of like the way the Celtics used to defend LeBron back in the day when he was with the Cavaliers. Like there was always help behind the help when Cooper was coming off the screen. So he was being smart in how he was reading what was happening with the screening action. And he was just passing the ball and getting his teammates wide open shots but what was even more impressive for me with him was his impact on the other end of the court. The rebounding effort, the defensive effort, I'd, I'll just say this. Like I've been scouting you know, high school basketball players since the early 2000s. And Cooper Flagg in the games that I watched in person at Peach Jam and then what I saw him do in the, in the playoffs for the E16 EYBL or at Peach Jam this year is probably – I put him in the top five best defensive and rebounding and effort uh, performances that I have ever seen in my time as a, as a, uh, as a scout, like he was the way he, the force that he played with, the way he energized his team, the way he shared the ball, the way he did not care whether or not he was shooting it well, or, you know, wasn't getting a lot of shots. Like he just continued to impact the game at one of the highest levels I've ever seen just with his effort. So that to me was just, that was the, that was the story of the week uh, with him was just how great he was with his effort on, on both ends of the court. Yeah. That's what I like about him. It's just, even when he's not scoring, he can impact the game in so many ways. I mean, you just always feel him on the court. He never kind yeah. of fades into the background, even when he's not shooting. Yep. Absolutely. Did you get to watch him against Cam Boozer head to head? I did not. That was the day that I was at Adidas. Um, it was hard because I had to, I had to fly back uh, home uh, on Thursday. So I knew that Wednesday was going to be my last full day of being able to cover uh, stuff. And I needed to get out to Adidas, but trust me, like <laughs> I definitely heard from friends that were in the arena and I heard about the performance. Like it, it sounds like that performance on Wednesday where he was head to head, like it just sounds like he had an amazing performance. And I thought it was really interesting to kind of see that uh, Main United, uh, Cooper Flagg's team, I thought it was really interesting to see that they uh, got that W 
uh, against Cameron Boozer and his team because I remember back to the EYBL back in the spring the year before, um, and Cam Boozer's team, like, they kind of dominated uh, in, in those matchups head-to-head uh, -head in the early parts of the EYBL. So you knew going into that game on the Wednesday of PGM Week this week that Cooper and his team were going to be very motivated. So for them to pull out a win, I think, really speaks to the development that that team has gone on and like watching them play last year compared to this year. Like you could see like guys have grown in their game. They had a couple shooters uh, that really complimented really well that game. Ace. Yeah. yeah. The yep. thing that I loved about ACE and you got to give a ton of respect to him uh, for this ACE was the primary defender on Cam Boozer, both in the Wednesday game and in the championship game of the peach jam. And you could just see the effort. Like he was making Cam Boozer work for everything. And the way he defended ball screens, the way he was talking, like I had a high degree of respect for uh, Cooper's brother Ace uh, for his performance as well. Yeah, Cam kind of, I don't want to say he struggled, but by his lofty standards, I would say he did. Um, you know, I can't remember the exact stats, but he wasn't particularly efficient in either of those head-to-head -head games. So I guess that does speak to Ace's defense. Yeah, and I think the... The thing with Cam's team is like they are they are they're dependent on Cam because of his versatility. And I thought like when I watch Cam at this stage, it's like watching a more polished at this stage, a more polished Paula. Because watching 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 Paulo in high school when he was this age, he was playing up. Uh, for the Seattle EYBL team, 17 U's playing like with uh, uh, with a McDaniel's kid, and Paulo, he really like took a huge leap forward as a player, like as a junior and a senior. His game really rounded into shape. He got much more assertive, especially when he got to Duke. You know, he was challenged at Duke by Coach K to expand his playmaking approach. Whereas, like when I watch Cam Boozer now. He's already got that to his game. Like he's already assertive from a playmaking four perspective. And I think in the game that I watched, um, the championship game, you could see that when they were getting going in transition, he did a good job at like pitching up ahead to his guards and they were off to the races. So I think from an offensive perspective, you know, when they were playing in the half court, there was so much attention that was being given to, uh, to Cam. And I think what I what I thought was interesting was Cam tried to show different aspects of his game. You could see him like reading the defense a little bit, especially what was happening with the ball screen when he was involved in it. But there was so much transition that was happening in that game. And so often, like he would be behind the play because he would pitch it up ahead to his guards and his guards were off to the races in transition. So even though, you know, from a scoring perspective, like I think he had room to grow. I, I really like where his game is because you could just see like the way he reads the game. You know, I think he understands at a very high level how to make an impact both in the post with his size and also on the perimeter when they went screen roll. Screen roll. Yeah, I think I had him down as like uh, having averaged like five and a half assists or something like that for the tournament. So that's what really impressed me. And then the other thing was his rebounding. He yeah. uh, got so many putbacks in the game that I watched. Just like, yeah. I think one was off a free throw late yep. game. Really impressive. He is just so strong. When you, when you, like I did an interview with him and like from last year to this year, he's gotten, he's gotten stronger physically. Like he is imposing. 
So when he puts his mind to it, that, you know, when he recognizes that, Hey, I've got a mismatch down in the post and I'm just going to go to work. There's not very many people that can stop him. I mean, he is just so physically imposing the way he plays. Did you get a chance to see Dylan Harper play or was he? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. He was, uh, you know, he's another really good 2024 player right now. He's the number one ranked player in the class, you know? And I think what was interesting with him was I knew he was coming off of having just come back stateside from playing overseas in Hungary for the USA basketball. I think it was the U19 team that he was a part of. So what was interesting with him, like I figured like, all right, he's going to be tired. He's just coming off a plane overseas. He just traveled back. And I think what was interesting with him, especially in the game that I watched in person um, on Tuesday was how comfortable he was both with the ball and also without the ball. Like, you know, going in, like he's got the gift to score, but the way he, the pace that he plays at, in some ways it kind of reminds me a little bit about, you know, like when you watch James Harden and like James Harden is a master at, you know, when, depending on what he's doing with the screen, like the way he either accelerates or like backs off a little bit and just the way he engages the defender who's trying to fight through the screen, like Dylan can do similar things. He's great at reading screens. He's really comfortable with the ball, but he doesn't mind moving off of the ball and cutting and moving. The ball doesn't stick uh, with him. So he's the kind of guy that you could play him as your lead guard and he gives you shooting. He gives you playmaking. He gets to his spots. Like you could tell, he just has a very advanced offensive understanding in all the different facets of offense that you want from your lead guard. Probably comes with uh, being the son of an NBA player. Yeah, I mean, and and he and he works really hard on his game. Like there was a really good art. There was a really interesting article that came out during Peach Jam from the Athletic. You know, that just kind of spoke to the development uh, and just the whole situation with his recruitment and whatnot but he was um i had him in kind of my you know my top group of guys just in terms of how they perform like he was definitely up there like even coming off of you know flying from overseas you know in the game that i watched uh his on tuesday like he was clearly one of the best players on the court i don't want to make predictions but i'm you know as a fan i'm assuming that we're probably going to lose proctor um after this season you know flip to um Uh, do you think Harper's recruitment kind of depends on what shakes out between Foster and McCain as well? Like what we have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be an interesting, and that kind of relates to some discussions that I had in the gym on Monday and Tuesday with the NBA scouts. Cause that was kind of, we were talking about that. And what was interesting to me and talking with the NBA guys about um, the current Duke team for this, for this season like a lot of them were really high on both McCain and Caleb Foster. Like, you know, these are, these are NBA scouts that have been watching these guys in high school for multiple years. They've been starting to build the files, you know, on there for their NBA teams. And this wasn't just like one or two NBA scouts. Like I talked with scouts from over 10 different NBA teams and all of them, like there was not a one who did not uh, say to me that, they felt like McCain or Foster were not going to be good uh, for Duke this year. They, they, they think they think that they could have very good seasons. Now, where the differentiation was, for some guys, they felt like it's a no-brainer. Those guys are going to go back, you know, for year two. Whereas there were others who they kind of, the way they spoke about it, you could tell like their organizations are going to scout those guys to kind of see 
do they evolve as players during this year one at Duke the way we think they are? And if they evolve the way we think they are, I think there were some NBA scouts in the room. We thought, okay, there might be a discussion, you know, for Caleb Foster and uh, Jeremy McCain at the end of the year reference the draft. So we'll have to see. I just always kind of thought as McCain as maybe a multi-year guy because of his size, right? He's not very great. Um, whereas, you yeah, know, I got to tell you, the NBA, the NBA scouts were raving to me about McCain's work ethic, you yeah. know, and, and, and having covered him for a long time, like you know, when the NBA scouts were telling me, you know, like having watched him in, in workout sessions in high school practices at AAU events, like they were all raving about his work ethic, his approach to honing his craft, the way he's, you know, the way he would drive for hours to get to his workout gym, uh, for the last couple of years, like there was a high degree of respect for his work ethic. And I think, you know, having covered him for a long time, like, I think you're really going to see the fruits of that in his, in his season. Like that guy has trained, you know, game shots, game speed, how to read pick and roll. He's gotten very strong physically. Like I think McCain to me is in line to, you know, he's, he's going to be a really good player for Duke. And with Foster, I think he's got the potential to do that, but I'm interested to see like how are they going to utilize him? Because if they utilize him, because he's Foster has more point to his game than McCain does, but Foster can score uh, as well. So depending on how the season goes, you know, I could see those guys having a big impact, and that relates back to your question about uh, Dylan Harper. You know, I think Dylan Harper. Obviously, he's the number one player in the class. Like he's going to go, you know, wherever he wants to go, and he's able to go wherever he wants to go. But I think he Harper is a different type of player compared to Foster and uh, and McCain. The way he approaches the game on the court is just really different from those two. Yeah, Shu. I don't know if you'd agree with me, but we were at media day and we saw both Foster and McCain up close. And Foster struck me as huge. So that was my thinking about how he may, be, have, he may have a chance to go early simply just because of his size. If he shoots like 38% from three at that size, I could see him being one and done. Yeah, I mean, I was late getting there, obviously, and mm-hmm. got in the gym. Nobody's around. I went to the bathroom. I come back out, and Caleb's sitting on the steps. So I asked him to to get me to the right spot, and he stood up, and I was – Kind of surprised, I was, you know, because you you think in your head, oh, he's a guard. So I think, uh, mm-hmm. you know, guards. I think of shorter guys. He's he's a big kid. You know, he's got I, th- a- I think it's going to be interesting to see. I know we're talking about Duke here a little bit, but when Duke goes to a guard backcourt of Tyrese Proctor with say Foster, yeah, that's going to be interesting because I think, and then the dynamic of McCain with Proctor or even Roach. Like I think McCain is going to bring more of a, like a scoring mindset out there. Cause that's kind of how he's drilled his game. And I agree with you. I think Foster has the capability to help him stretch the floor, but the way he attacks the basket, like he's just, he's a different kind of athlete. So I'm fascinated to see how interchangeable Duke's backcourt could be with Proctor with either one of those guys, because they're going to approach things different. And I think the actions they run, with either one of those guys, with with Proctor in the backcourt, I'm fascinated to see how they play. And maybe it's just me because the Oak Hill connection, but I I kind of think of Nolan Smith as a as somebody Foster you know comps with like a a combo guard scores but can facilitate as well. Actually, yeah, and 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 really like what's interesting with that comparison, Nolan was probably 
two, maybe three inches shorter coming out of high school than Foster was. Like, you know, Nolan was probably closer in height to McCain, but Mm -hmm. McCain, like when you look at his, I mean, you guys saw him in person, like he's got tree trunks for legs. He is strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of the weird thing about this uh, 2024 class is there just so much that's up in the air with the 2023 uh, recruits that it's kind of hard to know what it's going to end up looking like. It's nice that Duke has two commits, but yeah. you know, there've been a lot of years where Duke has had five or six commits at this point. So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what you kind of heard about some other people that Duke might yeah. pursue. No, or- there were, there were several that I saw. Um, and I think they've really set themselves up well from a recruiting map perspective for 2024. Um, there was, there was another wing uh, that I saw. He was at the Adidas event, DJ Edgecombe. Yeah, uh, yeah. he was he was really good, and he's all these guys that we've been talking about so far. He's totally different from them. Like he is a long, athletic, big two guard, but the arm strength and the arm length that he has, the the impact that he made defensively with shooting the gap and the way he rebounded the ball, and the thing that he was really good with, he was very patient offensively. So he wasn't playing with the ball a lot offensively. But he moved great without the ball, and he would put himself in position where, because he was playing with another kind of a smaller kind of gunner guard named Mikael Brown Jr. in the backcourt. So Edgecombe would play off the ball, and the way he would cut, he would get open uh, for passes quite a bit. And sometimes they would swing, swing on the perimeter to him, and he would attack the lane hard. Like that was one of the things I loved about his offensive game with Edgecombe. When he got the ball, if he knew he was going to drive because he was reading where the help was, he doesn't like dance around the issue. Like that guy penetrates the lane hard and he gets contacted because of that. So, you know, like sometimes you watch high school guys or even college guys and they kind of dance around the contact. They try to avoid a little bit when they're driving. Like that's not the case with Edgecombe. Like that guy, he will get through contact. He will initiate contact. He'll get fouled. He'll go to the free through line. He brings a physical presence from a big guard perspective that's just really different from all the other guys we were talking about. Would uh, maybe like Justice Winslow be a good comparison? I know, you know, Edgecombe's more of a guard and Winslow is more of a forward, but just when you mentioned yeah. the slashing and the cutting and the defense, that made me think, I think of Winslow. So. Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I totally agree with everything you just said there. Like, I always felt like watching Winslow, like he was always going to be like a 3-4 you know, and like once Duke committed to him kind of being their four, you know, when they when they kind of went small yep. a little bit with with uh, Jaleel at the five, like Winslow was really good because he moved without the ball, really good slasher, you know. And I think the similarity also with with him and Justice, like both those guys, like they needed to grow into their shot, into three-point shooting. But the thing with Winslow that I always liked was, you know, he never tried to take like really bad, like dumb three-point shots. Because he knew who he was playing with, and with Edgecombe, like he, sh- excuse me, he shot it from three, but he took good, excuse me, he took good shots. So yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I guess that's a good transition to move on to Adidas. Uh, who else did you see there? I know you mentioned I'm going to butcher his name, but Badunga or Baduna or how? Yeah, Flory. Flory is his first name. Yeah, he was. Um, that was my. That was one of the first games of the day. Uh, that I watched up there. Uh, he was really impressive. Um, and like I had come off of two days of watching Patrick uh, Nungbangba from uh, from Team Takeover. So I was really interested to see like 
how is Flory different from Patrick? Because I knew like both those guys have the size to play center, but I was interested to see how are they different? And they couldn't be more different. Uh, with Patrick, the thing that was interesting was he showed kind of some real offensive skill polish around the rim. Like his footwork is solid. Uh, the way he read screen rolls, like they were getting him engaged in screen and rolls. He was doing pick and pop. He was doing pick and roll. Like he, you can give him the ball in the post and he's got moves. He's got counter moves. He's got good offensive footwork. Flory, on the other hand, what was interesting was the team that they were matched up against, um, the bigs that they had, like they were nowhere near the level of athlete that Flory is. Like Flory is like so physically imposing. Like I remember texting John when I was watching him play. I was like, this kid looks like a mini Sheldon Williams with like how strong he is in the upper body, like broad shoulders, extremely long arms, uh, very athletic. But what was interesting was the other team recognized like that he's this great athlete in the post. So they were doubling him quite a bit, even even if he wasn't shooting, like they were making sure that they got two guys on him to try to body him out from getting the offensive rebound. He drew that much attention and respect because of how physically athletic and gifted he is. Um, But from an offensive perspective, I saw Flory. He had a couple of times where he shot. He had good pace and rhythm to uh, some jump hooks. And what was interesting to me, I didn't know going in that he was a left-handed shooter. He took his jump hooks left-handed, which I thought was really interesting. Loves that. (laughs) Yeah, which I thought was really cool. Like, I didn't didn't know that going in that he shot left-handed. So it was interesting to kind of watch. You know, he didn't take a ton of jump hooks, but when he took them, they were good shots. They were room and rhythm. He had good footwork, good extension on his on his jump hook, and so then he made the carry two point That's <laughs> what you're telling me. Just, no, he's going to so, average twenty a game. No freshman. No, so where he's different from Vernon? Vernon in high school. Um, Vernon knew at any time he could go down and get you a bucket down in the post because he was that good at sealing, you know, and just with his pivot footwork and all that. But Vernon in high school spent a lot of time on the perimeter. Yeah. He loved to get into pick and roll, do pick and pop try to showcase his uh, offensive uh, perimeter versatility. Flory, like, you know, he'll do screen and roll on the perimeter, but when he's coming off that screen, he's looking to go down to the rim hard. Like, the way he rim runs is hard. You know, so there's more, in terms of, like, how he attacks offensively, in some ways it kind of reminds me of how Mark Williams kind of attacked offensively. Like, you remember how hard Mark would run, would do rim runs off off the defensive rebound? Like Flory has the capability to do that. He is that fast. He's that athletic. He's strong. Like he's, you know, he's more of a low post athlete with room to grow offensively. Yeah. I remember hearing that uh, he hadn't been playing basketball that long. So maybe he's a little bit raw. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I think what was, what was encouraging for me was knowing how much respect the other team was giving him and how they were doubling him a lot. Like, You'd be tempted to like look at the box score and think, oh, he didn't have all that many rebounds in that game. Oh, he was lazy. Like he wasn't lazy in that game. Like he was just drawing a ton of attention and a lot of doubles, even on even rebounding situations. So he showed a lot of capability. I really liked what I saw with him. And if he comes to a school like Duke, they won't be able to do that to him. So, you know, there's your pitch. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, yep. There should be a lot of guard talent to kind of draw defensive attention away from him. And actually, you could see that on the AAU team that he plays for Indiana Elite. They had floor spacing for days. They had uh, Travis Perry, who's one of the better shooters. 
uh, and the class was on that team. So they had multiple guys that were shooting it from three. And I agree with you, like the way he was able to move in space because they had the floor space properly with shooters. You know, if he comes to Duke, he's going to have the same thing. You think him and Nagongba could potentially play on the same team or do you see them as mutually yeah. exclusive? I, I think they're mutually exclusive. And then when, when you look at like who's offered them, uh, the schools that are recruiting them, I think all those schools are kind of setting up to, you know, it's it's a battle for both those guys. They're both really talented, uh, low posts, you know, you know, four or five type of players. Uh, but the way they're being recruited, I just, I don't see the two of them playing together in college. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Right, right. Uh, was there anybody else you saw at Adidas? I have that Koa Pete was there. I know he's kind of a big time recruit. He is. And, uh, it's really interesting with him because he, like, he's in the discussion along with, uh, you know, with Cam Boozer. And when you look at him, he is physically strong. He's maybe a little bit shorter than, uh, than Cam Boozer is, but he like, he kind of plays like a point guard. Like it's fascinating to watch him play on his AAU team. Like they initiated offense with him on the perimeter. And then when he would come off of the screen, he had freedom to do whatever he wanted. So he did work in the post. He did work off a screen roll. Like the way he ball handles, he's, he's an above average ball handler. He's a really good reader of screens and he's so physically strong up top. Like he's almost as strong as Cam Boozer is with maybe just a couple inches short, you know, of, uh, of where Cam Boozer is, but man, he was, he's a very gifted player. So would you kind of compare him to somebody like Paolo as well? Cause I know he's kind of a power forward, like in the six, eight, six, nine range, got some perimeter skills. Uh, I don't know how good his shot is, but. Yeah. He didn't shoot it a ton in the game that I watched when I was there. Um, I think he's got elements of his game that are similar to Paolo, but I feel like the Paolo comparison is more apt to Cam Boozer than it is. Because I feel like with Paolo, Paolo became a playmaker, especially in his time at Duke. He yep. became a playmaker, but he wasn't like running the offense. Like he wasn't initiating the offense. Like on on his AAU team, like uh, Pete was initiating offense. Like that's why... I, I threw the point description out there because like his vision with the ball, he was making really good reads, good passes. He's just, he's a unicorn. Like he is so strong that when you come off of the, when he comes off that screen, like you have a decision to make as a defense because he can, he can drive the close out. Um, or if you're going to double him because you're just afraid of what he could do with the ball coming off the screen. If he's playing with floor spacers, he's got the ability to pass it over the top. He's, he's different. Yeah, it seems like uh, one of several like truly elite NBA prospects in the 2025 yeah, class. For uh, sure, I would agree. I would agree. I know we talked about 2024 already as a whole. Um, what are your thoughts kind of on 2025? How does it compare historically in terms? Because I know you've been doing this for a long time. So just in terms yeah. of classes you've watched. 
I think it's at, at the top, uh, class of 2025, keeping, keeping in mind that Cooper flag could reclassify into 2024, right. but say for sake of argument, he doesn't do that. And he's a part of 2025. The other guy that's in the discussion along with, um, who we've been talking about, like with Pete and with, um, Boozer, Cooper flag, uh, Caleb Wilson, uh, is also in that discussion. He's a really different player, but he is super skilled, very talented. Um, the other guy that's going to potentially be in that discussion is a current 2026 kid, AJ uh, Dibonsa, uh plays yeah. with Expressions Elite on the Peach Jam. AJ was playing up 17U, and I would say he was one of the most dominant offensive players, period, at Peach Jam this year on the 17U level. He is that good. So at the top, of the class of 2025, especially if you add in AJ, there's a real discussion, I would say, depending on how these guys evolve as players, you could have a legit four or five, I'd say five guys for sure, who like they all belong in the discussion for number one in that class, especially if AJ reclassifies into, into 2025. It's that good. I mean, it's, and I agree with you. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And you always have a top five every single year. So I I went back and I and I look back, you know, at just some of the old classes and like some of the old composite rankings, uh, like on basketball reference and whatnot. And like I kept on returning to like I remember watching Kevin Love and OJ Mayo and Kevin Durant and others. Like when the, when those guys were, you know, sophomores and juniors, and as they evolve, like they were some of the, or even like uh, the Derrick Rose class, like, you know, that I think Derrick Rose was the same class as Nolan Smith. I think if memory serves me right, like those guys talent level at this stage are on a similar level to where those guys were, you know, OJ Mayo and whatnot, when they were, when they were coming out of high school, they're that good right now. What makes AJ so good? He's a big athletic, fast two guard that can score in every way that you want. And I just think, He's another guy that I was fascinated to scout because I knew like, all right, he's right now he's, you know, ranked, you know, number one or number two in the, uh, in the class of 2026 for the early rankings. And I knew he was coming off of having played in Mexico on the United States, uh, USA basketball. I think it was a U16 team. I think he was on the same team with, uh, uh, with Cam Boozer and all those guys. And I knew he was coming into an environment where he was going to be playing up on the on the highest level of EYBL at the Peach Jam at the 17U. So I was interested to see how did he look. And he was just a straight up attack dog. Like he is a fast, athletic, you know, kind of a big two that literally can score any way that you want him to score. Like he was destroying guys out there. He made them look stupid. Have colleges really started to get involved with him yet? Or is it thinking that he might just, you know go to overtime elite or something like that. There's definitely that thought process that's out there. I think the the biggest thing I'm interested to see is does he reclassify? Because I think when you look at him now, it's the same discussion as like what we're having with like with Cooper Flag. Um like those two guys, like they don't need extra time in high school. And it's the same thing like with with Cam Boozer. The only difference between Cam Boozer in that discussion and uh and aj and uh, cooper flag is uh, uh is cam is younger like his yep. birthday is he's younger uh than those guys by like 
Like, I think the difference between him and uh, Cooper Flag, it's like nine or 10 months uh, is Cooper is older uh, than him. But skill-wise, like, all three of those guys, like, if they – there are their games are already at the point where they could go into college, in my opinion, like, right away, and they would be really, really good. Yeah, I remember seeing that AJ is – he might even be older than Cam. I think he's pretty old for his grade. So I guess a reclass okay. would be a natural thing to do. So, Yeah, and that was the discussion with the NBA guys too. Like that's, you know, just as much as Cooper Flag, you know, being a topic of discussion from a reclassification perspective mm-hmm. with the class of 2024, that was a big topic with the NBA guys. Um, it was the same discussion with, uh, with AJ. You know, like a lot of people felt like, you know, he's ready, he could do it. One thing I wanted to ask about, sorry, just real quick. We've okay. in the last couple of years, we've seen some uh some of the jerseys in the rafters come down. Uh 35 for Bagley, you know, that was Ferry's mm-hmm. number. Uh yep. Mark Mitchell's wearing Art Heyman's right now. Any chance that uh we can work out a deal with Christian Leitner to get Cooper <laughs> in the 32? <laughs> he I'd seems do like he might be a takes. little prickly about that. <laughs> so what I'm interested to see, I think it's a really interesting discussion. Um, they remind a me a lot of like, you know, a, a just competitor, just do anything. I agree. What I, what I would be interested to see, because I remember uh, Cooper told me last year um, when I first started interviewing him that his two favorite players were Duke players was he said he loved Jason Tatum and he loved Grayson Allen. Like he just loved the way they played. He followed them at Duke, continues to follow them in the NBA. So I'm trying to remember what the what the numbers were that that those guys were when in their time at Duke. Jason I'd be was zero and Jason Grayson zero, right? was three. I'd be I'd be interested to see if he would take one of those two numbers or would he take because he wears I know he wears thirty two now. He wears thirty two, so, yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what would happen there. Just drop the two and take three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or switch them out, give them three and two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do we give Cameron Boozer uh, JJ's number four? Because that's what Carlos that's what his dad wore. Right, 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 right. So pull we'll another one down. Pull another one down. We'll it's really to interesting to me. Uh, random thought, but it's interesting to me that uh, you know Cameron and Cooper both have a kind of brother who's not getting as much spotlight, um, but yet performed really well at Peach Jam. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I love Caden had a great Cameron, game. Cam- Cameron's brother Caden. I love I love him as a player. Like I loved him last year when I first saw him play, and he's only gotten better. Like the thing that I I have it in my notes every single time. Like when I'm watching uh, Caden uh, Boozer play, he is an attack dog out there. Like he is in your grill defensively, and when he's not on ball defensively, he is aggressively in the passing lanes. I can't tell you how many times. I've seen either him or one of his other teammates who's also kind of has that same spirit. The way they play the passing lanes, his team, those two guys are like the engine in transition uh, for that team. They generate a ton of steals, a ton of deflections. And the thing that was really good this year with Caden was on the offensive side because he saw how much attention that teams were drawing uh, or putting towards his brother Cameron. And Caden was assertive offensively like you saw it on the tv games like in the championship game uh from what i heard he was very assertive offensively against uh on the wednesday matchup uh, against main united and cooper flag like he has clearly gotten more comfortable with his offensive game he kind of knows who he is he's definitely a capable three-point shooter but he's so physically strong and he's got good length 
Like he's kind of one of those combo guards that you can run offense through him. He gets guys involved. He knows how to attack screens. Like I like him as a player a lot. He'd be if he chose to go to Duke and if Cameron chose to go to Duke, like Kaden would be a really good player for Duke. Was your sense um kind of talking with some people that they are going to play together, or is that really up in the air? Uh yeah, that's where I'm kind of interested to see where things evolved. I think they were much more forceful last year in talking about that when you would do interviews. But now this year, you could see that Cameron is much, uh, he's kind of put on the professional face with the media when you do the interviews. And, and that happens. Like, you know, I've covered kids, you know, since the early 2000s, like elite kids like that, they tend to, as they get older, they clam up to the media. So um, I think I think there's definitely still very, very, very strong interest. And I think it's more likely than not that they're going to play. But I do think that both those guys are being recruited by a bunch of good schools. So I think it's just a matter of let's see kind of how things evolve, you know, so to speak. Shoot, you got anything else? No, just going to give a shout out to that burgers and barley spot down in Rock Hill that we had <laughs> yeah. lunch at. It was a good spot. And also a shout out to uh, Ed Armstrong for the the nice email after the Shire pod. I think everybody loved that pod, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of great feedback from that. So that was really appreciate it. Yeah. I want to mention, I want to mention two other guys, if I may, uh, saw them both, saw them both at peach jam. And I was really impressed with these guys. Uh, and there are two guys that I think Duke fans need to pay attention to, uh, in the coming years. One is Caleb Wilson, who just recently got the Duke offer. Uh, he's class of 2025, uh, as well. And I think from a skill perspective, he belongs in that discussion for top five. Uh, in the country. And the cool thing with him, he's playing up on the 17U for the Georgia Stars. And when I talked to him after his game, um, I really liked, and you could see it in the interview that we ran, uh, you know, between him and I at the at the Devil's Den, I liked his mindset. You know, like he told me, like, I wanted to challenge myself. And I knew playing at 17U, I was going to go up against guys that are bigger, faster, stronger than me. And I wanted to play for a team that would enable me to kind of show my skill set in a variety of different ways. And I love the way he thinks the game. Like he's he's got a high degree of skill uh, to his game. And he's got that, he's got really good length. So he could play three. He's that kind of three, four, but he can shoot it from three. He can run isolation ball. He's taller than Isaiah Evans, but you could do iso ball with either one of those guys or both bucket getters. But the thing that I really liked about Caleb wasn't when he was describing to me like how do you think through the game because the team that he's playing on he was playing with two other guys that i would say were more of the bigs on the team like they played the four and the five and caleb was kind of playing the three uh for them so i asked him like how are you kind of thinking through that and you can see it in the article that the way he thinks about it is like he's all about the matchups like he he tries to read and react like what's happening off the screen do i have a smaller guy and I play bully ball, you know, off of ISO. Like, I just love the intelligence uh, that he brings to the court. And the other guy that I was really impressed with, and this was actually my first time seeing this guy in person, um, was Jalen Harrelson. He plays for the Indy Heat uh, team on the EYBL. And I knew going in, I had heard that he kind of has some point guard skills, but he's got a wing body in terms of size. And watching him play, I was really impressed with him. He's very patient offensively. He was clearly the secondary ball handler for his team. And the game that I watched of him, what was interesting was I was sitting with a coach and uh, who actually had a son on the team. 
And he was telling me that that team that he played for, they had just lost their starting point guard to reclassifying into the class of 2023. He went out to Wyoming and they had another guy that was out with injury. So they literally had one guy on the bench. So the starters were having to play heavy minutes. And what was interesting was starting out, Jalen Harrelson was kind of playing more off the ball and it wasn't coming to him a lot. But then as the game went on, his team went to him as kind of the primary ball handler. And the way he read screens, even with his size, I loved how versatile he was. He could shoot it from three. The way he read screens was great. Uh, He had several ball reversal passes over the top. Like he's an interesting weapon because he's got wing size, but he's got good court vision. So you could use him as a secondary playmaker or or a secondary ball amp. Size, you mean like six, 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 seven, something like six, seven, six, eight, somewhere in that range. Like he's got what was Sean Sean Livingston, Raul? You remember he was around six, seven, something like that. Just a a, a big, a big, tall point guard. Yeah. Sign me up. Sounds great. Yeah. Was he class of 2025? He was. Okay. Yeah. Both him and Caleb are class of 2025. Uh, BJ Edgecombe is class of 2024. Right. Um, so, yeah. And you think Caleb and um, Boozer could coexist? I, I'm, I'm looking at a hypothetical scenario where Cooper Flag reclassifies, so we don't have to yep. worry about him. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't, have, I don't have any concerns about that. That, that could work great. Because I think the floor spacing that Caleb Wilson gives you and the way you can run ISO with him mm-hmm. at the four, like he's, and he mentioned like he loves watching Jason Tatum the way he, and you know how like Duke used Jason Tatum as kind of that big, that big wing, the stretch four, like Caleb could play like that. You know what I'm saying? Like he's just so skilled offensively. The way he reads screens, you put him at the four, he's a matchup nightmare because he could take bigs out on the perimeter he can handle the ball. You can run screen roll with him. And if you put a smaller guy on him, he can absolutely take him down on the post, isolate him, and get buckets. Like that kid is gifted. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap up. Um, Steve, you mentioned the interview you did with Caleb Wilson. Was there anybody else you interviewed uh, or anything oh, we should God. kind of plug uh, before we get out of here? Yeah. If you're listening to this podcast and if you're not a subscriber to the devil's den yet, like you really need to go like, and I'm not just saying that cause I've been working there for a long, long time. Like even just off of working for three days, we had, I think over 10 uh, interviews that I did alone um, with all, with a lot of these guys that we were talking about uh, on this podcast. So we've got fresh interviews up on those guys. Um, you know, John and Adam at the site, they do a phenomenal job with the with the Intel gathering. So we have a very robust uh, message board discussion on all these guys. And I just think as the summer goes on, we're going to see, you know, like we just saw with Caleb Wilson, like he just got the Duke offer. Um, so we're going to see more guys kind of evolve as priorities uh, as we head into the season. So, yeah, definitely put in a plug for the Devils down. We've got a ton of fresh content off of, you know, off of the stuff that we were just talking about with PGM and covering Adidas. Yeah, we spoke to Brian Geisinger last night as well, um, and that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And awesome. I would highly recommend that people check out his articles on Duke's offense yeah. for the coming season. Yeah. Some really fascinating stuff. That actually just reminded me too. Um, I need to also make sure that I, because I, I was talking with John and uh, some of the things that I wanted to wrap up sharing was just some of the thoughts that I had gotten from the NBA scouts when I was talking with them about uh, like Duke's guys, you know, that, that were in the draft this, this past draft. Uh, and I, I know we kind of talked a little bit about McCain 
uh, and the draft prospects, you know, Filipowski and, and Proctor. But the thing that I thought that was really interesting when I was talking with the NBA scouts uh, about Derek Whitehead and about Derek Lively, the thing that was fascinating was hearing how their processing, the draft process with those teams went uh, with those guys, because both of those guys visited a, a, a number of teams in the pre-draft process. And I think um, with Lively, what was interesting was uh, several NBA scouts that I talked to from different teams, they talked about how when they did the pre-draft uh, interviews uh, with them, they kind of talked about one of their strategies when they're dealing with interviewing a talented, big prospect who maybe had great defensive numbers, but maybe didn't have like amazing offensive numbers. Um, they talked about how they will ask those guys in the interview setting, you know, like, what was the problem at your school? Like, why weren't you featured more offensively? Like, did you have any issues with like the way things turned out, you know, with maybe not scoring the ball? as much. And it sounds like multiple teams took that strategy in their interviews with Derek. And from what I heard from their scouts, they were all really impressed with his answer because, you know, I think they asked those questions to kind of give those guys an opportunity to throw their college coaches under the bus. Yep. <laughs> you know, if they weren't as involved, involved offensively. And the scouts that I talked to said that the answers that Lively gave were the exact opposite. They were like, I was really happy you know, yeah. with the, with the role that I played, he was like, I knew it's what the team needed me to do. And he said, over time, like I kind of learned on the offensive side, like how I could help the team. And that's the role that I played. And I was willing to do it because he saw that's the biggest way that I could help the team. So when you're talking with like NBA guys who like have been doing this for a long, long time, like you could just, you could hear the respect uh, that they had for lively, you know, with, with answers like that. And then the thing with whitehead, uh, that I thought what was really interesting in talking with the scouts was I think there were a lot of teams in the draft based on the scouts comments that were much higher on Whitehead than where he got drafted. I think yep. the big reason why he got drafted was teams have to take into consideration the injury and the recovery from it. But what was fascinating to me was all the teams that I talked to that were not Brooklyn scouts. Um, when we, when I was asking them, like, what do you think about the fit for him uh, in uh, uh, in Brooklyn? They all thought it's a really good fit for him because the doctor who did his second surgery is the team doctor for the Brooklyn Nets. So I think there was a lot of NBA scouts who thought once he's able to fully recover, acclimate to the NBA game, there were a lot of guys that were really high on Derek Whitehead and his potential impact at the college level. I just think there were some. NBA teams who, you know, when you're making a decision in the first round, especially earlier, closer to the lottery, like there's a lot of considerations that go into like who you pick and who you don't pick. And unfortunately, he was dealing with an injury. Yeah, I think both those guys really landed in sort of ideal spots, you know, Lively yeah. can provide something that the Mavericks don't have. And, you know, Whitehead, of course, on the Nets, they've already got a lot of shooting, but he just slots seamlessly in there with all the wings they have. Yeah, I agree. And I think with the, and I think with this year's team, the comments, the comments that I heard a lot were talking about Tyrese Proctor and Kyle Filipowski. And I think it was almost pretty universal that there were a lot of NBA teams that going into the pre-draft process who firmly expected that uh, Filipowski was going to be in the draft. So now that he's going back, 
Um, and by that point, the news was out. Obviously, he was recovering, you know, from the hip surgeries and all that stuff. I think there was a lot of excitement with the NBA scouts because both they're going to get another year to kind of scout him at Duke and see him be, you know, the main option, you know, in the in the post for Duke. But they're also interested to see how is he going to evolve as a player because from a medical perspective, they think these surgeries are really going to help him. Like they, they think they're going to see, because all these guys have scouted him since he was in high school. So they think they're going to see a more athletic uh, Kyle Filipowski compared to, you know, what they saw last year because they're, they're taking into account, you know, the, the flexibility issues that he had with the, with the hip injuries and all that stuff. Well, you remember Shire mentioned that on the pod with him that he we did. did. Yep. So, yeah, so they're kind of, uh, I don't know if they're talking directly to Shire or if they're, you know, been able to see him a little bit or whatever, but yeah, yeah I would not be surprised at all. All right, Steve. Well, um, I, we appreciate your time and like, uh, you know, it's been like an hour basically, so we've kept you for a while. So oh, wow. I don't know if you have anything else you want to touch on, but if not, we're going to get out of here and I'll let Josh to, uh, do the outro. No, this was great. And if, uh, and if always, if you're listening to this, thanks for taking the time and, uh, be sure to stop by the devil's den where the, we're the number one site on the, on the web for, uh, from a subscriber's perspective, uh, that covers Duke athletics. We're really in depth with it and you guys do a great job on the pod as well. So put a plug in for that as well. well we want to thank Steve Clark again for coming on and, uh, giving his time and breaking down the games. A lot of Duke recruits in attendance there. Um, a lot of interest for a lot of these guys. I think this, Cooper flag and uh, Boozer twin kind of class there is um, almost unprecedented in the last couple of years in terms of just hype. You maybe have to go back to the Zion class to get a little bit of that. But I uh, hope you all enjoyed that. Um, we'll have some more content coming soon. Next week, we'll have an interview with uh, Brian Geisinger where we talk a little bit about the current team. Um, he's written a lot of articles for the Devil's Den. So go ahead and go, go over to the boards. Check that out at thedevilsden.com. Um, in the meantime, rate, review, subscribe. You can find us in all the usual places. You can email us at thedevilsdenpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at devilsdenpod247. And uh, keep the faces strong and the verb high. Go do. Duke.